All right, good morning, everyone. Uh, our reading is uh, in 1 Samuel 18 through 20. So if you want to start in chapter 18, we'll turn there. I counted a privilege to be among you this morning. We're back from vacation. It's good to see all my brethren here down in South Florida. Um, I uh, also want to say that I've, I've really enjoyed studying 1 Samuel in preparation for this morning. So I hope that I'm, what I have to say and maybe some observations will seem a little uh, obscure at the time. But uh, maybe we'll bring them in, per, in perspective and draw some broader implications than, what, than what's just recorded literally here in 1 Samuel. Uh, so in 1 Samuel chapter 1, to give a little background, I don't know when they covered the previous chapters, but chapter 17 is when David slays Goliath. Uh, prior to that is when um, the kingdom is rent from Saul for his disobedience, and David is then anointed king in the presence of his brethren. And from that point, uh, the Spirit of God departs from Saul and rests on David, and he is uh, empowered after that to do many miraculous things. So if I said to you, <laughs> I'll start with the obscure statements right now, if I said to you that I know of a man who, in the presence of his brethren, was anointed to be a king and continued to do miraculous things in front of all Israel, who would you think of? Well, David, right. That's what we're going to talk about. It's David. Um, <laughs> no, I... Drawing broader implications, there's many things that are recorded here which we can perceive our Lord Jesus Christ has a direct hand in directing the steps of David, who I suppose would later on say that the steps of a good man ordered by the Lord or his son. Um, anyway, so in 1 Samuel 18, uh, let's look at verse 1. that says, Now when he had finished speaking to Saul, this is David at the end of the slaying of the giant and his discourse with Saul. Now, when David had finished speaking with Saul, the, son, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. And Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. So David went wherever Saul sent him and behaved wisely. And Saul sent him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also the sight of Saul's servants. So the first thing I want to highlight right here is that, uh, let's just, just a, a quick reminder. David was a shepherd prior to his anointing as king. And uh, as soon as Jonathan finished hearing the shepherd's voice, his soul was knit to him and he fell in love with him. Loved him as his own soul. So let's say a broader implication of that. Maybe a reminder to us. Uh, do we hear our shepherd's voice? And is our soul knit to him? Have we gone so far as to uh, immediately unrobe ourselves as before him and bear all before him? Offering all to him. Anyways, moving on. Um, we have... <laughs> I guess the, the stigma of the entire passage is King Saul, the dispossessed king, um, completely uh, in lament over the loss of his kingdom and the loss of the establishment of his throne and his line forever. And uh, you, you'll see here as he slowly delves into madness 
as uh, he becomes uh, quite the javelin thrower. And he, <laughs> he also becomes uh, pretty, pretty uh, two-faced to his own son and family. And he says very, very peculiar statements to his own son later on. So when David comes from the triumph, uh, the women sing, Saul has slain his thousands and David is ten thousand. Then Saul was very angry. This is verse eight. And the saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands. And to me, they've ascribed only thousands. Now, what more can he have but the kingdom? Little did he know, (laughs) David was already anointed to be king uh, after him. So there wasn't anything more, actually, Saul. It's just the kingdom left. So, uh, moving on. Saul, um, to ensnare David, offers him his first daughter. And that didn't work out. He gave her to another woman. But then Michael ends up falling in love with David. His description, David's description in the Bible, is that he's ruddy. So he's red. And uh, he is beautiful. So he's good to look at. So David's fair appearance and red appearance is uh, apparently what enamors Michael. And so Saul eventually gives him to uh, gives her to David. But for him, it's to ensnare him. So Saul is driven to the point in his uh, depravity to use his own family to try to manipulate David, his uh, well, his acclaimed adversary for no apparent reason. Saul can see that the Lord is with him. Saul can watch that he's behaving himself wisely in the presence of all Israel. And uh, he's, he's manipulating his family right now to uh, try to trip up David in some way. Uh, Saul eventually, later on in this chapter, decides that the hand of the Philistines should be against David. So in his efforts to um, try to basically kill him, uh, Saul sends him out to the Philistines. He tries to... Um, Get his hand to be slain. I mean, this is, this is basically uh, Saul attempting to kill David in various ways. Also, I think we have our first spear attempt here. In verse 25, then Saul said, Thus shall you say to David, The king does not desire any dowry but 100 foreskins of the Philistines. David brought back 200, just to be sure. Uh, therefore David arose and went, he and his men, and killed 200 men of the Philistines. And David brought their foreskins and gave them in the full count of the king, that he might become the king's son-in-law. And Saul gave him Michael, his daughter, to wife. Thus Saul knew that the Lord was with David and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him. And Saul was more afraid of David, and David became Saul's enemy continually. Then the princes of the Philistines went to war, and so it was whenever they went out that David behaved more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so his name became highly esteemed. Now Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son. This is in verse 1 of chapter 19. And to all his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted greatly in David. So Jonathan told David, saying, My father Saul seeks to kill you. Therefore, please be on your guard until morning and stay in that secret place and hide. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are. And I will speak with my father about you. And then what I observe, I will tell you. So in their discourse now, Saul speaks, uh, Jonathan speaks to his father Saul. And Jonathan asks him, What has David done to deserve a death punishment? I mean, hasn't what he's done been advantageous to you? He's killed the Philistine. He's wrought victory for Israel. And then he's gone and killed more Philistines for your armies. Why do you have aught against his innocent blood? He uses that phrase. His innocent blood. Well, let's read on. 
Saul also sent messengers to David's house. This is verse 11. And to kill him in the morning. And Michael, David's wife, told him, saying, If you do not save your life tonight, tomorrow will be killed. It so happens that Saul was uh, subversively behind Jonathan's back trying to kill uh, David again. So if I said to you that an innocent man was uh, sought after for his life by the rulers of Israel, who might you think of? Again, I think we can see our Lord Jesus Christ being portrayed in some way, in some fashion, at least in the similar sufferings that he had with David. So David evades the messengers because his wife helps him escape. And then we come to a portion that I can't quite understand. David flees to Ramah, and he tells Samuel what's been happening. And Saul sends the same messengers after David, again, to kill him. But there were the sons of the prophets by the roadside, and they were prophesying. And then the Spirit of the Lord fell upon them, and they also began prophesying. So Saul, hearing this, sent more messengers, and they also began prophesying. Then Saul, very angry in himself, went after them as well, and he began prophesying. (laughs) So in my studies, I looked up the word prophesying, and it means prophesying. I don't know what to take away from that. I don't know what prophecies they were seeing. <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's not really meant to be a joke, but I, I, I can't earnestly conclude what Saul saw. But I do know that he came away from, the pres- uh, from that instance much angrier. So whatever Saul saw prior to then only killed, kindled his anger further. And then that evil spirit that would trouble him from the Lord uh, came upon him even greater after that. To seek David's life. So at the end of chapter 19, uh, we have, and someone said, Indeed, they are in Naoth and Ramah. So he went there to Naoth and Ramah, and the Spirit of God was upon him also, and he went and prophesied until it came to Naoth and Ramah. And he also stripped off his clothes and prophesied before Samuel in like manner, and lay down naked all that day and all that night. Therefore, they say, is Saul also among the prophets? This peculiar instance, I'm sorry to say, I have no earthly idea why the Lord did this except to protect his servant David from the hand of Saul. But the Lord was willing to baffle these messengers, these assassins. They, they, the scriptures call them messengers, but I, I would say they're assassins. They're, met with the, they're sent with a mission to kill. He baffles them with his spirit and causes them to prophesy and see things. And Saul himself in order to spare his servant David. Moving on to chapter 20. This is the the highlight of of the portion that I've been given to to share with you this morning. Jonathan's loyalty to David. Um, When I was originally given the the, the chapters to speak about, it it was, um, I think it was written, David's friend, Jonathan, But I almost think it's almost stated uh, conversely since it should be Jonathan's friend, David. David's the anointed king. And Jonathan recognizes that from the minute he finishes speaking to Saul in the first encounter he has with him. So when David fled from Ramah, he said to Jonathan, what have I done and what is my iniquity? And why does what is my sin before your father that he wants to kill me? Why does he seek my life? 
Now, if I told you that the Lord's anointed was uh, being sought after unrighteously to be killed, again, we can draw our minds to our Lord Jesus Christ. So David's suffering this in some way or fashion. Um, you know, my, my personal takeaway is that uh, he's being made to suffer a similar suffering of Jesus Christ, being accused innocently, and uh, they're seeking after his life. So Jonathan said to him, by no means. Uh, This is verse 2 of chapter 20. You shall not die. Indeed, my father will do nothing, either great or small, without first telling me. And why should my father hide this thing from me? It is not so. So Jonathan's in the dark about Saul's attempts to kill David. And uh, David insists after this. He insists that Saul has been trying to kill him multiple times with these assassins. And uh, at this point, Jonathan uh, breaks down and he says... Let's come up with a plan. So here's the plan to, to uh, expose Saul and his attentions. Uh, can we read in verse 5? And David said to Jonathan, Indeed, tomorrow is the new moon, and I shall not fail to sit with the king to eat, but let me go, that I may hide in the field until the third day at evening. If your father misses me at all that day, David earnestly asked permission. Uh, I'm sorry. If, that I may hide in the field until the third day at evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asked permission of me that he might run over to Bethlehem, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the family. If he says, it is well, then your servant will be safe. But if he is angry, be sure that there is evil determined by him. Therefore, you shall deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servants into a covenant of the Lord with you. Nevertheless, if there is iniquity in me, kill me yourself. For why shall you bring me to your father? But Jonathan said, Far be it, uh, far be it from, um, sorry, from you. For I know, if I knew certainly that there was evil determined by my father to come upon you, then I would, would I not tell you? So at this point, uh, David is confronted uh, with his covenant person, which is Jonathan. Uh, they made a covenant that day on the day of the slaughter of the Philistine. And... Uh, He's now capitalizing upon it in good trust and good faith between him to preserve his life. So, the day of the new moon comes. Saul is uh, curious about the first day at, at David's absence. He said, in his mind, he says that he must be unclean. That's why he's not here. He's unclean. The second day comes, and he's angry. And he asks Jonathan, Where is he? Where's David? He said, I gave him leave to go to Bethlehem. There is an uh, annual sacrifice among his brethren, and his uh, brothers bid him come. And so he says, Don't, I, I, I'm sorry, I have to read this, because this is one of the ludicrous statements that Saul makes. So Jonathan answered Saul in verse 28, David earnestly asked permission of me to go to Bethlehem. And he said, please let me go. Our family has a sacrifice in the city and my brother has commanded me to be there. And now if I have found favor in your eyes, please let me get away and see my brothers. Therefore, he has not come to the king's table. Saul's anger was aroused against Jonathan. He said to him, you son of a perverse and rebellious woman. <laughs> that's that's your, your wife, sir. <laughs> You son of a perverse and rebellious woman, do you not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame 
and to the shame of your mother's nakedness. And let's stop here. For a New Testament Christian living at the time of Christ, isn't choosing the son of Jesse for them, wasn't choosing the son of Jesse for them to their own shame and nakedness? Completely denying, so thought the Jewish people, the entire, uh, the entire faith. How can you abolish the tabernacle? How can you leave that's what's been laid up for us? So Jonathan, to his shame and to his nakedness, well, we could say literally when he gave up all his clothes, followed after the son of Jesse. Now, I find the statement that Saul makes very peculiar. He's in denial. We've all heard of the stages of grieving, right? First, there's anger. We've seen that. The javelin throwing for no apparent reason. I'll pin David to the wall. Um, We see him in uh, denial. This is it right here. We see him bargaining at some point. I remember when he goes to the witch at Endor later on and he tries to uh, bargain his way back into the kingdom. Now, Saul here in his stage of grieving says, don't you know, Jonathan, that as long as the son of Jesse is alive, your kingdom won't be established. Man, get in your head. Your kingdom's already been rent from you. You are a dispossessed king. Your disobedience has rent the kingdom from your own hands, and it's all your fault. Why are you angry at your son? Because he's chosen the king that was better. Then Saul cast a spear at him to kill him, by which Jonathan knew that it was determined by his father to kill David. That's what it took. It, 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 was, it wasn't clear until the actual spear <laughs> flew out of his hand to kill him. It was like, I think Dad's serious about that one. <laughs> so Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because of his father had treat him, treated him shamefully. And so it was in the morning that Jonathan went out into the field at the at the time appointed with David, and a little lad was with him. Then he said to his lad, Now run, find the arrows which I shoot. And as the lad ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. When the lad had come to the place where the arrow was, Jonathan had shot. Jonathan cried out to the lad and said, Is not the arrow beyond you? Now prior to this, David and Jonathan had worked out an agreement. David would hide in the field at the appointed place. And if Jonathan said this phrase, the arrow is beyond you, and the person that collected collected the arrow, and David would hear this phrase, he would know that he had to flee because Saul sought his life. But if he would say to the lad that the arrow is to your side, then David knew that all was safe, that Saul would not seek his life. So unfortunately for David, he now flees. Eventually he comes next chapter into the presence of a priest and demands of him bread. So... Right now, I want to draw some broader implications, especially from this passage. Now, I'm not one to be dogmatic about things that aren't clearly stated and represented in the New Testament. However, I can point out similarities, right? So David has to leave to go make, for, for three days to go make a sacrifice in his family, right? A sacrifice for all the family. So... <coughs> I know a man who had to leave for three days for a sacrifice for all of his family. So, 
David, after he flees from the presence of Saul to make this sacrifice, stops by a priest's house at the tabernacle, and he demands of him bread, which is unlawful for him to eat. David has no rightful claim to this bread. However, it was needful for him, for he was hungry. And he's given the bread. And he appears in the tabernacle, in the place where he's not to be, in the presence of the Lord, and he eats the bread. I know a man who, after he offered his sacrifice, appeared in the presence of the Lord. So, the broader implications, I think of the phrase that David was a man after God's own heart. So what can I take away as a believer from these, these, uh, these pictures and similarities between him and Christ, his sufferings and Christ's sufferings, we could say? Well, I think for us, we can take away Jonathan's standpoint. Jonathan's standpoint was that he loved David as he loves his own soul. Christ would say to us, if a man gave the, gained the whole world and lose his own soul, where's the profit in that? So, my brethren, Jonathan's standpoint towards David, stripping before him bare and giving him all that he has on his person, seeking after the preservation of his life, the anointed king that was to come in after his father, following after the one who is anointed as the heir from a dispossessed king, denying his heritage in order to be part of a better kingdom. Now let's read the end of the chapter. As soon as the lad had gone, David arose from the place towards the south, fell on his face to the ground, and bowed down three times. And they kissed one another, and they wept together, David more so. Then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, since we have both sworn in the name of the Lord, saying, May the Lord be between you and me, and between your descendants and my descendants forever. So he arose and departed, and and Jonathan went into the city. They had made a covenant. David had made a covenant earlier in the chapter with Jonathan. That David would show him kindness, and he wouldn't cut off his descendants, Jonathan's descendants. So in David's love for his friend, he shows him mercy. Unfortunately, later on in his life, after all the descendants of Saul are slain, he only finds Mephibosheth to show this kindness to. A lame man. And he brings Mephibosheth to his table. But David remembered his covenants. Would that we remember the kindness of our Lord and Savior so that we can trust in him to keep his covenants with us. And would that we remember that we are crippled and lame and we've been brought to his table. I want to read one more thing from Exodus chapter 21. Now these are the judgments which you shall set before them, If you buy a Hebrew servant, he shall serve six years, and in the seventh he shall go out free and pay nothing. If he comes in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. 
If his master has given him a wife, and she has borne him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters, and he shall go out by himself. But if the servant plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him to the judges. He shall, she, he shall also bring him to the door, to the doorpost, and his master shall pierce his ear with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. I'm very thankful this morning that in the heart of David we find the same heart of a Hebrew servant who was bound to love his family. Now when David fled, he left, he left behind his wife, Michael, which had been given to him by his master, Saul. For the rest of Saul's life, David would not lay a hand on him to harm him in any way, though he demonstrated that he could. So I'm thankful that the heart of a Hebrew servant was found in David. That he came in by himself and he went out by himself. And that our Hebrew servant plainly said that he loves his wife and he loves his children and that he would not go out for free. So he was brought before the judges and he was pierced against wood so that he might serve our master forever. So as we draw broader implications from this very short portion in David, we have our anointed king who has gone to sacrifice for three days and then after my allotted chapters, he's shown up in the presence of the tabernacle to eat bread. So ladies and gentlemen, let's consider that this story of David, this short portion, are true factual events that the Lord ordained for him so that he might show us deeper implications about how we ought to love and adore his son and that how he had to fulfill all these things. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the reading of your word and the truth that's contained therein. Our Father, we also thank you for the love of the Lord Jesus Christ and that his heart was found in your shepherd, David. Father, I thank you most of all that we have heard his voice and that as hearers we can respond to him. We can follow him. We can love his soul as if it were our own. And Father, I pray that we would trust him to fulfill his covenants for us. Lord, I ask that we would uh, again come again to your word this evening with the same openness and eagerness to hear the words of the Lord, and that we might deepen our love and relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.